0: Welcome to Radio Cachimbona. I'm Yvette, and this is episode 9. Radio Cachimbona is a podcast hosted by one Salvatorian, that's a Salvadoran Taurus, growing, healing, and storytelling in southern Arizona. I'm here to storytell the fierce ongoing resistance occurring in these borderlands and hope to center Central American voices. Today I'm really excited to have Nellie here to talk to me about her experiences growing up in Ajo, which is a border town in the south of Arizona. And we'll be talking about her experiences with interior border checkpoints. This is something that I mentioned on the Instagram that I might do an episode about because folks who didn't grow up in near the border might not know that there are these interior checkpoints where border patrol tries to quote-unquote figure out who is documented and who is not as supposedly part of security. So I just wanted to talk to Nellie about that. And Nellie, do you want to introduce yourself, say what you think is most important about you for the listeners to know? Ooh, I don't know about that, but... <laughs>
1: Um, yeah. Hi, I'm Nellie Joe David, um, I'm from Ajo, Arizona, like she stated, and I've been involved in this border rights movement, um, I guess you could say since I was born, since I'm from a border town and <laughs> our existence is kind of a resistance in a way, Yeah. but yeah, so I grew up in the 90s during Prevention Through
0: Deterrence. and Can you explain in- what Prevention Through Deterrence is? Prevention through deterrence. I didn't
1: know what it was Mm -hmm. when it was happening. All I knew at the time was that there was a lot of people dying all around us in the desert. And also people were needing water all the time. And that happened in the 90s. And I was very, very much normalized to it. All of us were. And then later on when you know I got into researching the why and the how and you know what brought us all here found out that prevention to deterrence was a policy that happened the same year as NAFTA. Mm-hmm. And it was along with the Clinton administration and it was a policy that basically there's all these different operations where they beefed up the border at all these other ports of entry along California, along New Mexico and Texas. And they intentionally left a p- place open on our area, in our area, desert borderlands, traditionally, Tono O'odham, Hiatchit O'odham land. And so they have this whole policy to funnel migrants through the area, knowing full well that there's um, not very much water and it's very deadly mm-hmm. and that this might be a deterrence for people coming through. And so it's kind of written that they know people die and so they want to use that happenstance as a policy to stop people from coming um, and then but as we all know it it doesn't stop people from coming so yeah. it's basically a policy of intentional death through means of you know having militarization. this militarization yeah militarization border war so it started in 1994 and then the checkpoints the towers the increased agents they're all a part of this strategy to make it as difficult as possible for immigrants coming
0: through mm-hmm. I appreciate you bringing up that the this happened or this started the same year that Nafta started because that's not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Like, the government knew and could predict that Nafta was going to destabilize Mexican farming communities and oh, yeah. was going to basically put small farmers out of their livelihood and what was that going to mean? It was going to mean that more people were going to want to come to the US for economic reasons. Right. And we saw it. We saw that in the
1: beginning, like in the 90s it was primarily Mexican immigrants or indigenous mm-hmm. people coming through mm-hmm. and now as NAFTA is expanded to and it's not even expanding there's been Horrible policies as you know beyond NAFTA that is destabilized reason regions in South America that is yeah. causing a or Been causing this greater crisis,
0: but yeah, no exactly and the, like the government is able to predict that there's going to be large amounts of Central Americans migrating nowadays because right. they're aware Hillary Clinton was involved in the coup in Honduras a few years ago and the U.S. intervenes and it's all about, you know it's U.S. imperialist policy that drives people mm-hmm. to migrate and the U.S. knows oh we're, if we destabilize this region people are going to come so what are we going to do militarize the border and make the route to the U.S. deadly yeah and and that makes a
1: profit for how many companies that are making big bucks for militarizing the border. And not only that, Hillary Clinton is very much involved in Corrections Corporation of America and expanding the prison industrial complex. So yeah, there's definitely a prop profit motive that these we've seen throughout this time. So yeah, prevention through deterrence kind of goes into all of that. And I've been talking to a lot of people that come through because of the deci- like they, they tell real stories yeah. about their lived experience from the destabilization, and then they also talk about the checkpoints and the towers and trying to avoid them, and so they have to go into deadlier areas and areas where water is scarcer, mm-hmm. and so it definitely, you, you hear when you talk to people, and I'm sure you talk to people all the time about this, like, you hear how the policies affect people and their lives and they really are deadly and they Mm -hmm. really are intentional and that's I think uh, the biggest message that I want people like the most important thing that I want people to know about these things is that you know no it's not just their choosing to come through and have this harrowing journey it's actually a policy and it was made to be like
0: this yeah because it's a forced choice because people are forced to migrate so it's you know, people are going to make the journey, regardless of how dangerous it is, because what awaits them at home is certainly going to be dangerous and will maybe certainly lead to their death. Yeah. But. With migrating, it's like, well, at least you have a chance of yeah. making it across. Yeah, a
1: lot of the people that I talk to do not want to leave home. They do not yes. want to leave their families. They talk, They I don't want to generalize, but I've heard so many stories from people that they talk about they all their families lived in the same neighborhood, mm-hmm. and they had this whole relationship with Grandma and Thea and everybody all in one block, and they didn't want to leave that. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to leave it, but circumstances forced them to leave Yeah, and made it so it wasn't liv- livable. So, yeah, it's, it's not choice, really. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a forced choice, like you said.
0: Yeah, and I think we've seen that through the changes in migration patterns, because in the 90s, it was a lot of Mexican single men who are coming here to work, and they would, earlier on especially, they would come to work and then go back home, and now it's like the people that are coming are Central American families who just want to be able to live, (laughs) be able to see the next day. Yeah, yeah. So did you grow up in Aho your whole life?
1: My entire young life, from um, infant to when I was 18, old enough to go to college. And when I was old enough to co- go to college, that's when I moved on. And I went to ASU, and that year coincided, my first year in college coincided with September eleventh, two 2001. Mm-hmm. So that was a big life change for me, it was a big life change for the world, <laughs> all at the same time. And after that, home was never the same. No. So like when I left home, it change big time Mm -hmm. and I had no idea you know watching the what happened with the Twin Towers I had no idea that it would affect my home so much because you know you're thinking it's in New York that's so far away but it changed everything and immediately we saw xenophobia immediately people were being killed because of being people being afraid of the other I remember there was a, a sick man and you know he wore a turban and he was shot at Seven Eleven in phoenix like wow. right after september 11th so i remember that being the start of it and then the news really getting partisan and arpaio <laughs> i mentioned to you before the interview had a big start in it and so i was trying to raise awareness on militarization while arpaio was doing the raids in the city and at that time, I think the city and border communities were not really communicating well mm-hmm. because the discussions weren't happening. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, I think there was just too much xenophobia going on for border communities to really have a voice at that time. And so, um, in the early days, especially back in 2007 era, when the checkpoints started to appear, there wasn't really there wasn't really a large crying out, asking for them to stop. Mm-hmm. And Aravaca, the Bar- Aravaca community was one of the first communities that I, s- you know, saw take collective action, mm-hmm. and they inspired our communities, Ajo, mm-hmm. to start doing things, um, at least to you know gain the. Momentum needed to to do something about it because people have been upset for a long time mm-hmm. and people have been vocal about these issues, but it's it's been difficult in the atmosphere because we have our own family members and friends at time times being being bigoted and that's just kind of goes along with being in a small town community. You know, people that you, we grew up with people and we never have discussions about immigration Mm -hmm. and then we grow up and all these things happen and later we're just like oh you know we're not so close friends because you believe that somebody deserves to die in the desert and I don't and that is big a big rift Mm -hmm. in where we see
0: things. So I want, I've been wondering about that because I know that Arivaca, you know, with People Helping People, has a really strong pro-migrant stance, and then there's also Tim Foley living in Arivaca and border vigilantes, and there's, and there's a people who have put up a sign near the Border Patrol checkpoint that says, we are Arivaca residents in support of this checkpoint. And so how, what is living in such a small town with people who really, like, fundamentally disagree with you on that? You see them a lot, right? You right. can't avoid them. So. Yeah, and
1: and that's what I think my biggest struggle is. You know, we have Olson's Marketplace. That's our, you know, grocery store. And my fear is that I'm just going to cut somebody out at Olson's because I'm just... I know they might have been against Scott Warren giving out water, and I just can't believe that. That I know people that... You know, people that ha- I grew up with that may have, may have been my bosses, or may have been people I've known my whole life, that they're really adamantly standing against leaving water, and personally that enrages me. Yeah, and I've gotten into more than a few arguments with people in my hometown, and I've, I'm not gonna lie. I have some enemies, I have some people that <laughs> really, really don't like me. And I'm you know. sure, I'm sure has the same thing going on. Because we have that. We have people, more Ajo-specific. A- Ajo's pretty religious. Okay. The way, where I grew up, you couldn't really, or it was kind of looked down on if you didn't have a religion. And so there's a lot of religious people that will use Bible thumping as a way to be anti-immigrant which is super hypocritical yeah, <laughs> like, like you
0: really gotta twist the words of the bible to be right. anti-immigrant but I
1: remember because so my dad does a newspaper runs a, his, my dad and my aunt uh, run a newspaper and there was a letter to the editor and it was from a pastor and he was talking about you know the basically the law is the law and it is against God's law to disobey the law and blah 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 and so he was just going on and it really just stuck with me I was just like, how can a pastor of all people exist in our town and say something like this and not get checked? Because how many verses in the Bible go against what you're saying, dude? Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, this is is where we're at. You know, we're at a place where there's enough people that are in this mindset that goes completely against what Jesus taught. (laughs) And yet, and they're just, for a minute, it felt like they were winning out. And maybe they did, because it, I don't know, I go back and forth on this. I did my whole higher education journey, and I did it because I wanted to stop the militarization of Ajo. Mm-hmm. Kind of taking after Air Vaca, we wanted to stop the checkpoint, stop border patrol intrusion. But before I even graduated from school, they had already set up their housing in the middle of Ajo. And they had already put this brand new station in Y. So... You know, my my struggle in all this is trying not to feel that complete loss and mm-hmm. defeat where it it does feel like they took over already. Mm-hmm. And it does kind of feel like those Tom Foley guys, Minutemen people dominate, especially because they are in they're paling around with law enforcement and they're the ones with the guns and they're the ones that really dictate the rules of our community and because we are an unincorporated community um, it's a former mining town we don't we're not used to having a voice mm-hmm. we're used to just pima county just telling us how how the ropes are are going and so you're incorporated or
0: unincorporated, or unincorporated.
1: yeah so it was a company town until the 80s until there's strikes and the mine closed down and that's another thing that's another big thing that's been impacted by prevention through deterrence and all of the xenophobia is the economics of our town because when the mine shut down we risked being a ghost town and so our big bread and butter firm in it was snowbirds and tourism Mm -hmm. and so for me as a kid it always sucked to have the snowbirds kind of in charge Because we didn't have MTV, VH1, things like that. We wanted to have MTV or VH1. Because the snowbirds thought it was the devil. (laughs) They're conservative snowbirds. Yeah, at first they were conservatives. That's a shift that's happened. Okay. Because now we're getting people that align more with Samaritan and no more death values. And so we're getting a lot of snowbirds that are helping out in the desert. Mm -hmm. But during the 80s and 90s, I would say they were primarily conservative. Okay. And, and then maybe what changed that is a scare. Because there was a big economic scare back when Lou Dobbs was on CNN all the time, scaring people about immigrants. They were always talking about how scary Mexico was. Mm-hmm. And the other alternative for Ajo's economic bread and butter was tourism. Everybody went to, to Puerto Penasco, mm-hmm. to, especially college students, mm-hmm. for spring break, mm-hmm. Memorial Day, all that, they would go and drink mm-hmm. in Puerto Penasco. And so when the scare happened, it was crazy because people just stopped. And so they weren't using gas stations. I would go down to Rocky Point and it would be empty mm. on a holiday weekend. And so a lot of businesses in our community closed down. And for a long time, people were saying that Border Patrol were our only hope oh. as an a economy. Oh,
0: no. Yeah. Wait, um, because people could become border patrol agents no because
1: people weren't using the gas stations people weren't so if there
0: was a border patrol agent there tourists would feel more
1: comfortable no part of it had to do with people stopped coming through so they weren't going to restaurants they Mm -hmm. weren't going to gas stations all that stuff was closing down so they were having such an influx in border patrol in my hometown they're saying border patrol would They'd be the ones to use the gas stations. Oh. They'll be the ones to go to the restaurants. Mm-hmm. They're the one. They're the ones that are gonna keep the economy of Ajo
0: afloat. Was that equivalent the number of tourists and the number of CBP agents? I don't. It could be. That's a lot of CBP agents. Oh yeah. If you look on the,
1: I I'm maybe incorrect on this number, so I would double check on the CBP website. But I'm pretty sure it's something like 800 percent increase. Wow. in agents since 9-11. Yeah. So, yeah, they have more than quadruple. They, they're, they're just so many of them. And so, yeah, it was, it was definitely a lot. But then after a while, lately, the new solution for not becoming a ghost town is becoming an arts community. And so that's also shifted the type of snowbirds that we're getting and the type of tourists that we're getting. So we're getting, lately we've been getting more people that are sympathetic to leaving water for migrants and that has changed the whole dynamic. And that does give a little bit of hope. Yeah.
0: Even though there's
1: concerns with gentrification and all that other stuff, it's more along the lines of hope because we really need that momentum right
0: now. Yeah. So has it become an attraction for artists to go and because it's cheap living they can do their art there? Yep. All yep. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: They renovated the Curly School. So it's now the International Shonoran Des- Desert Alliance. Cool. And artists can live there. My dad's an artist. They've done a bunch of murals. And you can actually see a lot of the movement making that has taken place because there's a lot of lot of art that has to do with leaving humanitarian aid and stopping mil- border militarization and that. And I think that's really helped people who have gone through so much trauma because of the militarization kind of come out with it. Because for all of us, I think, I don't know, it's generational or something, but we're living a lot of repression. Yeah. And my community in particular was really bad with that. It was so hard to talk about border issues because, you know, it's a small town and People that didn't want to talk about border issues were just like, "Oh, can we all just get along? Let's not talk about this." You Can't avoid it. You are living on the border. Right, right. But people, people have been like that, especially because like Ajo has all these past issues with racism. Like right. it used to be a segregated community, and whenever the brown folks would get together and try to talk about it, others would be like, "Oh." let's not talk about that, we're trying to get all get along now, you know, yeah. it's another time, let's, you know, let's and be it's, polite. yeah, let's be polite, but honestly, looking, look around us, look at the times we're living, it's not, yeah, it is another time, but it's not any better, mm-hmm. you know, as, as far as racially goes, yeah, it's not segregated on the same terms, Mexican and native kids don't have to swim in the swimming pool all the same day, and it's not drained for the white kid, that doesn't happen anymore, but... There's still, you know, lots of other ways that people are singled out. Like our school, like our, our Aho School District was targeted by Tom Horn. Who's was Tom Horn? Tom Horn was the superintendent of public instruction for Arizona okay. in 2010. I'm not sure how long he was interned, but 2010, the year of FB 1070, the year of ethnic studies being targeted here in Tucson, that's when he was targeting our elementary school, high school for not properly policing immigrant kids.
0: Wow. Yep. So he was, he wanted border patrol in in schools to try and figure out who was undocumented?
1: I don't know if he was exactly calling for that. What? happened is KTAR and other conservative-based news was going to the border and they were filming the Lukeville buses because, by law, Arizona mandates that in small communities you have to bus kids over to the bigger schools and so they were getting footage of that and showing kids from Sonoyta crossing the border to get on the Lukeville bus oh, okay. and come to Ajo. But what they didn't cover is that a lot of the kids from Senoita are we go back for generations. Mm -hmm. Our families are all related. Mm -hmm. So they have, a lot of them do have their papers. A lot of them, and and it shouldn't even matter, you know, because schools aren't places where immigration is enforced. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. But
1: it shouldn't be. be, and, And there's case law that goes against it. But our small town school didn't have lawyers. We didn't have people equipped to fight it. So they just paid it paid the fine and suffered the consequences and who suffered the kids because mm-hmm. we're already a poor school mm-hmm. you know i went back in the day when i went you know in the 90s we were still using books from the 70s because wow. we couldn't afford modern stuff mm-hmm. so it was just like i For me, it puts so much context on it, because here they're spending millions and millions of dollars on Border Patrol housing, Mm -hmm. and they're getting these heavy artillery vehicles, black op helicopters everywhere, and goodness knows how much they're spending on the checkpoints and everything else, and here our schools are barely getting enough to survive, kids are such a low priority, and then we get fined by the superintendent of public instruction for not properly policing the student's
0: immigration status. I think one of the things that's cool about going to visit a border towns and living close to the border is seeing how silly and arbitrary borders are because communities, like you said, are really like one community regardless of where the borderline is drawn. Yep. Uh, you really see the mixing of cultures like you know, U.S. and Mexico, like in the freeway signs are in kilometers, not miles, the right. closer that you get to the border. And like you said, I think both areas kind of depend on tourism a lot. And so like their fates are connected in that way, because if Puerto Penasco looks bad, then Ajo's economy is also impacted.
1: Yeah, exactly. And Ajo is very unique in the fact that it's a border town in multiple ways. It's a border town because Sonoita's is right there, and we are very much intertwined with that community. But it's also right outside of the Donauatam reservation. Mm-hmm. It's also Hiachita traditional land. And so we have kids from the res, we have kids from Mexico, all going to our school, and we all coexist. And mm-hmm. so on a positive note, that was my normal, and yeah. I like it that way. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I love hearing multiple languages all the time I love hearing autumn and Spanish spoken all around me Mm -hmm. but the world doesn't seem to share that with me Mm -hmm. and so but that's basically why why I do what I do for the love of my community and because I do know that so Noita is gets its name from Sonoyta, it's an Atam word, and so there's a lot of Atam that are there, we're all related. It's interesting, because the more I read about it and find out, friends that I always thought that were Mexican, they have Atam ancestry, yeah. and so we're just, we're all related, and it's, and it's such bull that these outside forces that aren't even from here are the ones telling us, oh, you know, you're not from here
0: go on you know and it's
1: it's not it's not the case yeah
0: you mentioned that you stopped visiting your hometown as much when you went to college because that was the time when the checkpoint started or it was built or created and so why was that Because I think people don't really understand what happens at checkpoints and why they're so intrusive. So the checkpoint that I had to go through,
1: I always get Highway 85 and 86 confused. So one of them, I believe it's Highway 85. That's the one from Ahod Hill Bend. And that's the checkpoint that I always had to go through to go home. And if you want to go to Tucson from Ajo, you have to go to the one on Highway 86. If you want to go to Mexico, there's another one in between Y and Sonoyta that you have to go through. So pretty much any way you go, you have to go to a checkpoint to leave or go to Ajo. Mm -hmm. And I've had so many experiences. It's My personal ones aren't the ones that get me the most upset, at least with the checkpoints. They're the ones that I hear, like my mom, for instance. Mm -hmm. She has a number of stories where where she's been harassed, and that gets me the most angry. What happened to your mom? They'll just accuse her of smuggling. They'll accuse her of transporting things and they won't let up and they'll insist that she's a criminal or things like that. There's a story I always tell that I just it just stuck in my head because they had the dogs. They, they often have these really fierce dogs mm-hmm. that will encircle your vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so one time the dogs were going crazy and so that's why um, apparently the agent was harassing her because they were saying, you, well, you, you know, you got something. Why else would the dog go crazy? and she didn't know why the dog was going crazy and she was insisting until eventually they let her go because they couldn't find anything. She gets home. Were
0: they searching
1: her car? Uh, I don't know if they searched her car at that time but I do know that she they eventually let her go and she went home and started unloading and found some dog treats and then she was (laughs) like oh (laughs) that's why those dogs were going crazy like
0: because you know but that's what sucks about the law around those dog sniffs is that it the when that decision was made that it was okay for a dog sniff to occur around a car they didn't or i guess they just made that decision ignoring the data that shows how unreliable dog sniff tests are and so it sucks because it's just an excuse for the cop or the border patrol agent to search your car.
1: Yep, absolutely. I have a story about that. It's not a checkpoint story, but it's a dog sniffing Let's story. Let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was out in Kuvo District, which is on the westernmost portion of the Thonautam Reservation. And some friends and I were there to talk to an Atham elder about militarization. And so we had heard stories, terrible stories, all day long because there's stories for days, and we were on our way back, and an undercover officers started following us. And my friend noticed that they were undercover, and I asked, you know, how do you know? Because it was just a blue vehicle or a blue truck. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, you can see the bars in the back of the, mm-hmm. the vehicle. So that's how we knew. We were like, okay, well, let's time and see how long it takes them um, for them to pull us over. Mm-hmm. So we timed it for about five minutes, and then their lights go off. Wow. and <laughs> scary and so we're like okay wait and see what happens and so he charges up right away and he's like this is an immigration stop and so, so that happened
0: on rest. yep
1: wow and we're all tribal members and okay. so we pulled out our tribal IDs which were specifically made because we are a border tribe and to give us an identity or whatever so we gave him um, the our cards and he continued to harass us and accuse us of smuggling and because I had gone to law school and my friends are educated, we are just, well, you know, we've proved our immigration status. May we go, you know? And he's just like, no, this is, this is a smuggling road. You don't have, you know, have, to, have to check you to see if you have any drugs on you because nobody takes this road unless they're a smuggler. And he was accusing us of being smugglers. And I was just like, no, you know, I'm on this road for a different reason, pretty much none of your business, but harassing us. And then he asked if it was okay to search the vehicle. And I told him no because I had things to do and I knew my rights and there was no reason that he had to search my vehicle. Mm -hmm. He did not have probable cause. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, well, I'll get it, you know. And so he got the dogs and he had the dogs run around my vehicle a couple of times and all the while saying command. And when he got to my trunk, he said a different command. Oh, wow. And so the dog obviously goes crazy because he's telling them to in the different command it mm-hmm. was it was to me it was so obvious and and so the, the, he's like oh well there you go the dog alerted we get to search your vehicle and so we got out and by this time more agents had been coming more agents had been coming so we were just like looking around like really another vehicle just for us you know also <laughs> noticing that they're all armed yeah and we don't have any weapons and so i think we counted a total of seven vehicles at some point wow and i mean that's not even all the agents that were there (laughs) it was just the vehicles and a black helicopter above us so it was just we're just looking around like dang all for us Mm -hmm. like like, we must be some important people (laughs) (laughs) so while they were searching my trunk i pulled out my phone and i started recording and I don't know if it was because I was I was recording or because they checked who we were. Because I was being really loud when I was recording, too. I was just like, look at this officer checking my trunk. He's not going to find anything. And I don't know if it was that or what, but all of a sudden they told us to go. Like, mm-hmm. right away, they're like, get out of here. <laughs> and we're just like, what? You know, <laughs> you're not even going to finish? And they're, mm-hmm. you know, they... They abruptly ended the stop. Mm. So I don't know why, but they definitely do use dogs as pretext a pretext to be able to yeah. just
0: look in your trunk.
1: Yep. And they, they'll, they'll make up any reason they need to, they'll find a way. Yeah. And then, you know, they always do. So- says that there's you know this hundred mile zone where we have less constitutional rights mm-hmm. Be- and, and it's true if you look up case law they give them so much more discretion to do whatever they want because they can rationalize that we're in this this drug war and uh, we're in like basically the whole res and Aho is in a smuggling zone mm-hmm. so that's basically what they use all the time to
0: yeah to yeah say that
1: they can stop us mm-hmm. at will
0: The case law says that the Fourth Amendment doesn't exist at the border. Because of how of the national security concerns, yeah,
1: and so it doesn't exist for us. <laughs> like,
0: so you can we don't talk- harass arbitrarily.
1: It's funny because we have this bombing range right next to Ajo, and it's close to Hekuwan District in the Res. And I don't know, people from our town are very normalized to it. They might even be reminiscent of it, like they like it because it's been around so long. Wow. And so some people will talk about the bombing range and when people complain about the sonic sonic booms and everything, they'll say, oh, you know, it's the sound of freedom. It's the sound of freedom. Mm -hmm. And like it (laughs) always it always puts me in rage because I'm just like, okay, so not only are we not fighting wars for freedom, but what freedom? what freedom are you talking about like we we have checkpoints right next to the bombing range Mm -hmm. we get stopped and searched all the time we have to go to the checkpoint to go home like you know, there's people dying all around us because of prevention through deterrence, and then people facing jail time, possible jail time for leaving water. I have friends that have ended up on a smuggling list because they gave a hitchhiker a ride. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just like, what freedom <laughs> are you talking? There's just so many ways to critique that.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's like the the two sides of Laho, I guess. <laughs> yeah, some
1: of it I can even I don't want to see the other side, but I'll I'll give it this. Okay, I grew up at the time when the mine closed down. And so I always heard stories of the before, of, like, when the economy was booming, when the mine was everybody's bread and butter. And so, like, for me, as a kid, I always thought of that time, awesome. Mm-hmm. And now I hear stories about how everybody had to go to the hospital while the, they blew up stacks from the smelter and, you know, cancer and all these things. And so my whole view changed, you know, from from that. And so... I can kind of see how people get used to old timey things and then they don't want it to change. But then also, we need to learn and evolve because this isn't, this is definitely not on par with anything that's good. <laughs> and it's, you know, a lot of people don't even know about the bombing range from Ajo. At least they don't know that migrants are that's facing. Where they there. Yeah, yeah. And that's something I didn't even really. It wasn't really on my radar until I started talking to a lot of migrants mm-hmm. and hearing about their experiencing experiences and knowing that, that they do cross into there and they are actively avoiding bombs. And, and then also learning, you know, I'm, I'm working on my dissertation and I'm um, really concentrating on autumn history. And I didn't even know, even though I'm Hiachid and I grew up in Ajo, I didn't know that that area where the bombing range is, it's a traditional hiachid Atham route, where they, young Otham boys would take this journey to collect the salt at the sea. And the journey was how they became a man. Oh, and wow. so it was a very spiritual journey, very physical mm-hmm. uh, journey, very land-intensive you had to kind of know your way through the songs and the shapes of the mountains and things like that and those runs still do take place but they're so much harder yeah, well they sound dangerous now yeah and you can't it's it's pretty much impossible to do it the traditional way because the traditional way is as i said like navigating your way through the mountains and the songs and knowing that way mm-hmm. now you have to make a special agreements to cross or you okay. have to know exactly where you're going to cross yeah or if you're not going on the border you know you have to figure that out and, you know, we have the, I've been participating, it's not the same as the salt um, journey, but it, an anim, annual unity run. And the purpose of the, the run is to unite all of Otham. Because if you don't know, we're kind of, we're separated in various ways. There's Otham in Mexico, there's Akumal Otham, who are the Hila River, Salt River tribes, and Yachid Atam, who aren't recognized but are a part of the Tono Atam. Okay. And so the purpose of this run is to unite us. What all. you identify as? Yeah, Tiachid yeah. Atam, Tono Yeah, and so the purpose of the run is to unite the tribes, and yet those that are enrolled in Hill River and Salt River, they're not recognized as a border tribe. And so while we can make agreements that some of us can cross at Earth Tono a lot of the Hill River tribal members have to go back and they can't cross into Mexico because of politics. And that's just... Wait, why
0: are they restricted if they're citizens?
1: Well... For the run, there's special negotiations that take place to not cross at the tradi- traditional point of entry because we're crossing, running, and we can't stop. Mm-hmm. And so for that in particular, we haven't been able to negotiate the, okay. the proper agreements. And they can, they but they can go across south if they want to use a formal um, point of entry. But it's just, you know, for a cultural and yeah. spiritual thing, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. there's so many difficulties. But vice versa, the Ottomans in Mexico definitely have a huge problem coming up north. And that's something I'm learning a lot more about as I, as I meet people and talk to people that are, are Ottomans in Mexico.
0: So the Toono-Otom the nation was cut in half by yes. the U.S.-Mexico border? Yep. And what, how did relationships continue after that?
1: Well, we were told and our leadership was told that we wouldn't be affected by the border when the gas and purchase happened in 1853. Okay. And so, like, back then, our leaders were promised that, you know, it's always the same. And, you know, there's this whole treaty that took place between, you know, the landowners. Aught weren't really included
0: in that because mm-hmm. they weren't really thought of as people. You kind of already spoke to this about how living in Aho, you're related to people who live in Sonoyta. Mm-hmm. And you're all family. And so it's... But, like your family life is intruded upon because there is these conservative news media outlets saying that kids from us can't go to our school. Yeah. So just just speaking more on that relationship because I think that that's the experience of a lot of border communities that their family members are on the other side and yeah. it it makes it makes that difficult it makes keeping up those relationships. Difficult.
1: It it does make it very difficult and I think that's one of the things that I know that I, I have lots of relatives in Caborca and I know, you know, through finding more and more about my history that Hiatch and were a lot more, they were mobile. Not that we didn't have a homeland. We did have a homeland, but to, in order to farm, we would have to move. That makes sense. And then, so when they put the border, it virtually stopped that movement and it stopped our pretty much whole way of life in agriculture. And then there were other efforts that I'm learning about that, you know, they had BIA agents stopping physically stopping our ceremony by the barrel of the gun, and they did that with our wine ceremonies, and so you had all that going on, and so it is a testament to how strong we are to know that we do maintain connections despite Mm -hmm. all the barriers and borders that have come between us, and it's most recently that it's been the strongest But what I'm realizing the more I look into history, there's so many. Like, Acomel Atham land and Thono Atham land used to all be together. And now there's bombing range. Now there's towns in the middle. Now there's all this in between us. Mm -hmm. And so... It does create problems, and it does make connecting with our families that much more difficult. I don't know my family in Caborca. Mm-hmm. I would love to know them, and that's one of my goals. You know, I want to go to Mexico and learn, get to know my family over there. Mm-hmm. But as far as it is now, we're close on the north side, and that's, you know, our immediate family, and my tias and my cousins and all that. That's as far as we go. But it, it, makes, it does make things really hard. But that's kind of where... It, a lot of our end goals are, at least in, in doing this moment movement, is there's so much work to be done in reconnecting ourselves mm-hmm. as Otham. Because we have so many issues on every side of our landscape. Mm-hmm. And it's all connected too, because our, you know, our Acomel Otham relatives, they just experienced a, a big loss of a South Mountain. They blew up this mountain in order to make a way for a freeway. And this is a very sacred mountain, and so it's a big deal. A part of that is why did they make the, or expand the freeway for Canamex? It's this huge corridor and Canamex is the reason that they want to militarize the border because they want to protect their precious goods and cargo uh, from going through. So we need to connect with Acomel Otham to connect militarization to that. Otham, New Mexico, There's so many things, medical issues, they don't have access to medical care like we do on the North, even though BIA agencies in medical care is abysmal. (laughs) In a lot of places, but that's another
0: whole other thing. But when you say B I, is that Bureau Bureau of Indian Affairs? Okay, okay. Because yeah. B I is also the Board of Immigration Appeals, so I that which is what I'm used to hearing. So okay. Yeah, gonna- I I
1: know I I forget that acronym. Yeah, it gets yeah, crazy. No, I don't really get it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, out uh, New Mexico, they also there's also lots of issues with waste. I there was a battle um, way back where the U S was trying to put like nuclear waste on them Land in Mexico, um, so there's that. Yeah. There's water and flooding that has to do with issues in the wall, because as, as you know that the wall isn't new, there, there have been walls that mm-hmm. have existed, mm-hmm. and so there are lots of areas that are impacted by the flooding that cr- creates from changing the natural landscape. Mm-hmm. So there's that. There's all the issues from mining. That's one of, when we became federally recognized, it was during the assimilation era. Our leaders pretty much were put in straight out of the boarding schools and signed off on the mines right away. And so um, there's arsenic poisoning in areas because of that. And then, as I mentioned in Hikuan District, there's the bombing range that's right there. And what, from what I've heard, they violate agreements constantly. There are a certain number of feet that they're supposed to fly over the reservation, but they get they go way lower than they're supposed to. And they also, there's areas where um, so much jet fuel is left from flying over that the um, landscape doesn't grow mm. in the way that it used to. Mm. And in, as Indigenous people, like people that are from there know that, can yeah. witness that, but they're told that every time they try to bring action, that there's sovereign immunity and there's nothing that they can do about it.
0: Wow, it's like it's funny how that concept is only applied when it benefits the U.S. federal government, right? Yeah, <laughs> Like, where's the sovereignty when CBP agents are harassing you and racially profiling you on the res? Right.
1: Where's the sovereignty in students when we just want to exist at U of A? Sorry to delete, but it just made me think of that because, like, they're trying to stop our free speech and speaking out against the border patrol, and yet they have all the free speech they can want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just...
0: So is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I think I've kinda asked you most of the things I wanted to ask you, but I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to. I know there's
1: gonna be so many things that after we end the conversation I would be like, I forgot about this, because that's what I always do. (laughs) Militarization is just it's so many things. And you really we can't we can't cover it in a hour, two hour conversation. I don't know how long we've spent talking, (laughs) but
0: well, thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday to talk with me. I yeah, really, I know we've been kind of trying to meet for a while, so I'm excited yeah. that we got to talk. Yeah, me too. I'm glad.
1: I'm glad that you came over when we did this. Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> bye, everyone.
0: Do you want to say bye?
1: Yeah. Bye, everybody. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Nelly. I wanted to quickly remind y'all to support us by following the Twitter at Radio Cachimbona, the Instagram at Radio Cachimbona and Facebook, facebook.com slash You can also go on our newly revamped website, radiocachimbona.com, where you can find links to the Patreon. You can become a monthly supporter of The Lit Review, the Lit Review is a patron-only segment in, w- in which I invite women of color to come chat with me book club style over wine, and we'll be bringing you all wrong critical analysis of your favorite authors and legal texts. On the last Lit Review, I had the pleasure of interviewing Alex Miller, a fellow Stanford law grad, and we chatted about Barracoon by Zora Neale Hurston. On my next Lit Review, I'll be talking with my friend Abiola, and we'll be talking about the... How We Get Free, Black Feminism, in the Komahee River Collective. Quickly, I wanted to answer a listener question that was posed in the Insta story. A listener wanted to know what LSAT books I used to prep and study for the LSAT. So I actually had Kaplan study books and mostly studied by taking a bunch of practice tests that I had access to at a Dropbox. My friend gave them to me. Looking back, I actually wish that I had taken a formal course, and obviously things worked out fine, but I think that might have made my studying period less stressful. So I just wanted to plug Blueprint LSAT prep programs because they have a really dope program for people who might not be able to afford the full price. If you qualify in their income bracket, then they'll give you a 50% discount on their LSAT prep course so check that out and i'll be doing this regularly asking if y'all have any questions you want answered on my Insta on the insta story and if you do then please let me know and we can make listener questions a regular segment thanks y'all and stay tuned for the lit review that's dropping next monday